This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent decades. Today on Interlinks, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into the world of the supply chain with a group of international experts, all colleagues of mine from the Supply Chain Special Interest Group at the Society for the Advancement of Consulting. And we have guests here today from both Europe and North America. So we will be touching on how COVID is affecting supply chains in in each of the regions, as well as touching on some of the major hot topics in supply chain at the moment, such as the volatility and wild price rises in the ocean freight market and how the supply chain will be impacted by the climate change agenda now that we have a change of direction with the Biden administration in the US and the growing expectation building around the COP26 climate change conference in Glasgow later this year, where Boris Johnson will look to burnish his green credentials and ingratiate himself with the new American administration. We'll also be reviewing those sectors that have been resilient to or have grown because of the pandemic to see what that might tell us about future business opportunities and change. And so to discuss these topics, I'm delighted to be joined by Antonio Zrilic, president of the supply chain and logistics consultancy Logico based in Zagreb in Croatia. Welcome, Antonio. Hello. And Mark Wolf, uh, president and founder of Lava Fish Advisors, specializing in helping client companies address the rapidly evolving sustainability uh, landscape for their businesses. And uh, the business is based in New York, but I think Mark is joining us from Vermont today. Is that right, Mark? It is. Thank you very much. Good morning. Uh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Um, so let's uh, kick off with COVID. So what's COVID uh, doing in your area? And how are you seeing the supply chains responding in your area, both in terms maybe of vaccines, but also in, in, in general? How is the supply chain stepping up to support your community in supply chain? So, Mark, how's it going for you in Vermont? Well, actually, I could probably offer a better perspective on on New York because okay. um, since since we're all isolating and connected and tethered to technology in terms of finding out what's going on, you know, certainly Amazon has stepped up big time. Um, you know, a lot of the DoorDash, Instacart um, delivery services are doing well. You know, there's sort of a, a parallel to the stock market crash of 1929 and what's happening now in terms of you have a third of the economy that's actually flourishing, a third of the economy that's staying even, and a third of the economy or or people in the economy that are really, really, really struggling. I mean, you have some neighborhoods in the borough of Queens where they're at 50% of herd immunity level because there's so many people living so tightly packed in close quarters because they are essential workers, you know, doing Mm -hmm. the, you know, the delivery and the shopping and the driving um, that, you know, a lot of people have, have had it and no, they haven't gotten inoculations and yet 50 percent have have antibodies. Um, I think one of the things that we're seeing in New York and globally is that, you know, the postal system is not as uh, reliable as people like to have imagined that it was. I mean, there was a lot of concern with the election with mail-in ballots. I know that there are times that I'm getting time-sensitive materials. I've asked my mail to be forwarded. Um, it's taking 10 weeks to get here. And sometimes mm-hmm. somebody will drop a letter in the mail um, from New York and it'll be here in two days. And it used to be a lot less vari- variability in that. So I think in, in terms of you know what's going on with the vaccine, it's the states were more or less left on their own until January 20th. And now there seems to be some good effort at a federal coordinated response with guidelines, but it's not all uh, smoothed out just yet. And from the environmental point of view, one of the things that I'm seeing is that as companies like an Amazon 
um, or Whole Foods are exploding in, in, in growth, um, they're accelerating their plans to use entirely um, non-existent delivery systems going to all electric fleets. Mm -hmm. Amazon has been doing experiments with uh, drone delivery of packages. Amazon has actually hired half a million people during the pandemic and, and has expanded its warehouse footprint um, unbelievably to move, to move stuff closer and closer to where people are ordering. How, how are things looking in your part of the world, uh, Antonio, in Croatia and I guess in those countries, your neighbours, republics that were formerly part of Yugoslavia? Um, so what's going on down there? Well, uh, since uh, COVID-19 uh, stroke, there, is, uh, there were a lot of jumps and some other situations for different uh, industries. For example, uh, some of my clients in food industry in, in first lockdown, their demand uh, skyrocketed and uh, they, uh, because all shops uh, were closed, they had uh, wholesale business and distribution and, uh, and they actually delivered uh, the fresh food to people uh, doors and, and they, they had a very, very good uh, business. Uh, then in, in second uh, wave, because of stores uh, remained open, uh, business slightly uh, went down. So there is a different, uh, uh, different effects uh, of different industries. For example, furniture industry also uh, uh, was very uh, successful because, and, and also uh, uh, do-it-yourself uh, chains worked uh, very, very good in, in second lockdown because uh, people are at home and they don't have anything to do and they uh, uh, repair uh, their homes. And uh, so, so one of my clients has a chain of, of uh, uh, do-it-yourself uh, uh, goods and, uh, and he's, he's doing uh, fine. So it's, it's different. And uh, uh, in reference to vaccination uh, here in Croatia and in, uh, in Europe, uh, the whole, now, now we can see that uh, Europe has, has made a bad pick uh, for uh, manufacturer of, of vaccines and uh, it joined uh, uh, joint venture with uh, uh, AstraZeneca, which uh, has uh, uh, slightly, well, uh, not very good uh, effects of, mm -hmm. of these, uh, vaccines. And also there are now uh, this, this uh, we, we could call it a vac vaccines war or, or something like that, because now some countries that, that uh, want to pay more uh, get first uh, vaccines and uh, yeah, I think I think it was important though that uh, the 27 members of the European Union uh, stuck together because if they hadn't stuck together each one would have been shopping for vaccines separately that would have been absolute chaos yeah. so I guess although although Europe has been slower than say the US or the United Kingdom they did it in a maybe more structured way a more delayed way and I guess in two, three, four months' time, that will probably even out, perhaps towards the towards the summertime. So, how, how are the vaccine? What's the vaccine uh, rate now? How many people, as a proportion of the population, have been vaccinated in Croatia? Do you know? We, we are still in in first and, and second uh, degree of, of uh, uh, emergency, and how, how I don't know how to call it. Uh, so, the the most uh, old people, uh, mm. old, oldest people, and uh, and some uh, uh, people from uh, from healthcare industry, they are they are uh, vaccine vaccinated, and now now there uh, there is uh, uh, another step, uh, uh, another degree, or, uh, for for an, for another group of people that that are slightly. Uh, yeah. uh, you think it may be maybe what four or five percent of people, something like that? Yeah, something like that, five to ten maybe. 
Yeah. What's it like uh, in your part of the world, Mark, in terms of the, the number or the portion of people who've been vaccinated? Yeah, and the last number that I saw said about 11% of the adult population in the yeah. U.S. has been vaccinated. Yeah. And they are um, starting to work on uh, teen, teen trials for yeah. immunity response right now. I think the, the United Kingdom did an approval on some sort of emergency um, um, procedure that was actually uh, a European Union procedure that they that they did it on. But they, they got a head start, however they managed it. And there's something they're beyond 20 percent. And I believe Israel is something up at 50 percent or more. Yeah, north than 50 percent. Yeah. Um, have you guys uh, picked up on this story in relation to India? that for some reason the cases have declined in India, even though they're not necessarily vaccinating and they're not necessarily following the measures or restrictions, and yet their cases are going down. So it's a bit of a mystery. Did you did you pick up on it in the, in the media at all? No? Yeah, I haven't. Okay, it's interesting. No, but, but maybe it's interesting to, to mention this uh, situation with Hungary, uh, because they uh, they uh, emergency imported uh, from uh, Russia, the, the Russian. Uh, yeah, the Sputnik. Sputnik. Yeah. Sputnik. And, uh, now, now was in, in uh, here in, in Croatia. There was a dispute uh, whether to to go to uh, import this, but uh, we are well, uh, we are uh, part of the European Union, and it's it's hard to go against or uh, before uh, EMU uh, uh, approval. So. Uh, for example, in Serbia, they they imported from uh, from Russia, from uh, uh, China. I don't know, and and uh, they are I don't know fifth or sixth in in the world in in uh, uh, vaccination rate. Uh, so it's interesting. Hungary yeah. is a member of the European Union, but they decided to yeah. procure some Sputnik from Russia. But they've been told by the European Commission that it's their own responsibility because it's not approved yeah. for use in the in the European Union. So um, yeah, and, and and you have a, a, a semi-parallel um, situation in Canada, which decided to place bets with seven different companies. So they have they have multiple sources of supply, and they're really lagging behind getting their population vaccinated because they spread their bet they spread their bets to so many different places. Oh, I see. Okay, it's interesting as well, Mark. You ma- mentioned Amazon, um, as you know, on top of the pandemic. On the first of January, the United Kingdom left the, the European Brexit. Union. Yeah, with, with Brexit. Yeah, and um, until then, until the end of December, Amazon. So when we here, we're in the Republic of Ireland, we'd go on to Amazon to buy something. We'd end up on the Amazon.co.uk site, and you order something, and it comes from the distribution centre in the United Kingdom. Um, but since uh, Brexit, they've shifted. And now the stuff is coming from Amazon warehouses on the continent of Europe. And the ferry traffic back and forth between Ireland and Britain has crashed. And the ferry traffic between Ireland and the continent of Europe, like France and Belgium and Spain, has skyrocketed. So now we have all of this Amazon stuff coming across from the continent. And Amazon announced about a week ago that they're going to build a distribution center in, in Ireland. So so what's happening is um, the supply chains are literally reconfiguring before our very eyes in response to Brexit. Um, another, another thing that's going wild out there at the moment, I don't know if you've picked up on it, is this whole area of uh, ocean freight. So I have clients who are really, really worried about what's going on in ocean freight. So uh, as you know, 
Um, you know, China is the factory of the world and they're shipping stuff across the Pacific to uh, North America and through the Indian Ocean and so on to, to Europe. And the volumes have, have boomed because of the online shopping and so on. And now a 40-foot container from uh, China to Western Europe, which would have cost $1,500, $2,000 maybe four or five months ago, People are now being asked on spot price quotes for $8,000, $9,000, $10,000, $12,000. So a lot of people are really worried. Um, have you guys picked up on this, Antonio? You did mention to me a client of yours in Croatia is having trouble with this also, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I just uh, spoke with the, uh, with the client uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, they, they, they wanted to release their new um, price list of, uh, of the, their uh, products and uh, they they uh, procure pro- products mostly from uh, from China. Uh, surprise! And uh, uh, and that day before they released the new uh, price list, they received uh, the quotes from uh, from their uh, forward agent and uh, and they were shocked. Uh, uh, <laughs> as you said, it was five, six, seven times the prices uh, uh, as before. So. So um, and and I spoke uh, with with another uh, clients and they, they also had uh, the same problems. Okay, every, everything uh, at first glance they uh, they say okay that's uh, pa- pandemic uh, uh, that, that's the uh, the cause is the pandemic and and the COVID and everything. But there is a, uh, probably more uh, causes of of this uh, of this uh, situation. So uh, th- there is a oligopole of of this uh, ocean freight. Uh, yeah, there's an oligopoly. Yeah, there's yeah, um, oligopoly and, there's and, concentration in the big players. Yeah. Yeah, and and now it, probably they they took advantage of of this uh, situation. Uh, and uh, when you uh, uh, mentioned uh, Amazon, and uh, there is also this Amazon effect uh, that that's going on in in uh, ocean freight because they they also these uh, these big shippers uh, want to kick out uh, the the middlemen, yeah, the, uh, uh, these uh, forwarders. And uh, uh, another thing, it's a Chinese New Year uh, is coming, yeah. yeah, and and everything is under pressure and time pressure, and so. So it's it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, have you have you come across this, Mark, uh, in your in your world? Yeah, I mean everything that that I'm seeing about shipping is more, is much more longer term issues. There's really, you know, two points that I would make. One is is that the current freight ocean bound freight system is using the dirtiest fossil fuel that's out there. And if there were no changes made, and everyone else is is following the Paris Climate Accords, what accounts Currently, the shipping industry accounts for three percent of the total global emissions of CO two. By mm-hmm. twenty fifty, that would that would rise to thirteen percent. Um, so, the types of things that are being brought to bear in terms of well, how do how does how do you change that? Are things like slower speeds, um, actually using wind, um, actually starting to look at how do you incorporate solar into into the power plant, and at the same time since those ocean-going uh, cargo ships are not exactly inexpensive and shipbuilders are in business to build ships, you have a movement going on in the finance sector relative to shipping called sustainability-linked loans, where um, the company that's borrowing the money is, is being looked at from both a uh, ES&G ranking and rating point of view and a uh, FTSE green listing. And if they move more sustainably, their loan rate goes down. And if their actual numbers are less sustainable, their cost of capital increases. 
So I'm seeing it from the, from the investment point of view, um, not so much what's happening today. It'll be interesting to see if the large shippers like Maersk and the others take all the, um, you know, the highway robbery rates that they're, that they're able to get right now and whether they um, basically pocket the profits or invest that strategically long-term to be viable players and still have a social license to operate, much less a, a regulatory license. Because I think the regulatory is, certainly in Europe, is, is, is leading the way of the way these businesses are going to need to be able to operate in order to stay in business. Yeah, I understand that this uh, these environmental requirements are part of the equation, not not the only part, obviously, but um, that to to convert some of the existing ships, whether to burn cleaner types of fuel or whether to equip the engines with scrubbers so that they clean the uh, the exhaust fumes, costs literally millions of dollars per ship. And also, uh, I understand that some of the shipping lines have placed orders for, for new ships um, of the latest technology, but it takes something like three years to deliver a ship from, from point of order. So I think we're going to have this uh, going on for quite a while. And Antonio referred to the Chinese New Year, which introduces a kind of a false discontinuity every year uh, running up to February, which is when the Chinese New Year generally comes around. So you get this kind of huge demand to get stuff out of China in December and in January. But my understanding is that after uh, Chinese New Year, so in April and May and so on, when, when it settles, it's not going to settle back anywhere near the old prices. They're still going to be uh, a, a factor above what they were before. So companies really need to seriously look at it. So some of the things I know that they're looking at is really examining uh, the inco terms that they have with their suppliers because sometimes importers will maybe have lazily gone for a, a CIF inco term, which is um, insurance and, and, and freight. So in, in essence, they're allowing the, the supplier to determine uh, the shipping cost, um, whereas they probably need to be looking at free on board, whereby they take o- they take over the control of the shipping cost, and then also the mix of forty and twenty foot containers. These are some of the things they can look at in the in the short term, and the terms and conditions on their supply contracts and their service level agreements and so on. So um, there's a there's a lot going on in that space. It's affecting people's budgeting, mm-hmm. and it's also as Antonio touched on there, affecting what they may do with their pricing. Uh, to their to their customers as they as they go forward. I mean, so, as as an end customer, I mean, I'm definitely seeing and noticing uh, prices. I mean, to get a a sheet of uh, plywood is has gone up almost 150 percent since the pandemic hit, okay. and, and it's still having trouble getting supply. In okay, the US. it's an interesting. It's the first time for a long time that we've seen real inflationary pressure in the economy, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think uh, it reminds me of oil shock in, in 70s. This was also a huge jump of inputs and, and costs that, that come for, for transportation and so, mm. so and, and it impacted all things, all the, the, the whole economy and everything. So if this remains on this level, that, that would have the, the same uh, or similar uh, effect. Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It'll probably feed into because I was wondering whether because you know you know we've discussed before the way supply chains are already changing and have been changing from kind of intercontinental to more regional, 
that maybe in a way they'll kill the goose that laid the golden egg in the sense that exporters and importers will move their sourcing closer to home, which is something that was already happening and maybe accelerated. And they'll also begin to invest more in technology to make that manufacturing more viable closer to home, whether in the US or close by in Mexico or here in Europe or close by in Morocco and Turkey and so on. So it's kind of feeding mm. into something that was already happening, right? Yeah, yeah. But here, but here's an interesting wild card from an environmental and sustainability point of view, and it's the materials that are being used to make products. I mean, I just read an article last week that there's a company in one of the Scandinavian countries that is is going to start manufacturing wood turbines. So rather than using composite petroleum-based materials, wood is a regenerative product. There's a real big real focus on you know regenerative. Um, you have companies that are now manufacturing um, shoes from material that's basically grown grown in a Petri dish, okay. it's like, you know, yeah. lab-based materials. So, you know, in terms of thinking of, you know, trees and plants and mines and ores and stuff like that, there's going to be a lot of transformation as we move to a more sustainable and regenerative type of economy. So that's going to feed into supply chains and manufacturing as well, because, you know, for example, the Boeing aircraft manufacturer, it was out in Seattle because originally planes were made of wood and there were all these forests in Seattle, right? And airplanes are not made of not made of wood, not made of wood anymore. Um, yeah, made of plastic now. <laughs> more or less. <laughs> So uh, it's interesting, uh, Mark, as you touched on cost of capital and finance, ethical finance, looking at who's performing in order to get uh, the rates for the uh, interest rates on their capital, and also in terms of getting people to invest in companies, it's as if I'm detecting as if a page is almost turned quickly and uh, imperceptibly. And now we have the new administration in the, in the U.S., we have the COP26 coming up. Uh, we have Boris Johnson wants to burnish his uh, his green credentials. Uh, U.S. is back in the game. So it, it's all exciting in your world, right, in the sustainability yeah. world. Well, I mean, that without the regulatory, you, you you can't rely on private companies to get there all the way. I mean, you look at Larry, Larry Fink at, at BlackRock, you know, who's, who's been pushing this and basically saying, um, you know, if companies are not, ESG focused, you know, our nine trillion dollars are not going to be invested in it. That being said, he said, you know, we're only, you know, even though nine trillion dollars is like the second largest retirement fund that that exists in the world, you know, it, we can't do it all alone. I mean, there's got to be regulatory alignment with it also. And I think that there are leading global companies who are actually living and doing this. And then there's a large number of companies who have um, very admirable goals, but they haven't quite gotten there yet. And what I'm seeing is that, you know, where two years ago, treasury and, fin and finance were not really talking to the sustainability people in their own companies, um, there's a lot more uh, engagement, interaction, and actually uh, capital planning that's going on between the two. Um, so that is, that is a very, very rapid change. But if you look at companies that um, have had values that are more aligned with environmentalism since their inception, so I'm thinking of Patagonia. Mm -hmm. I mean, Pat Patagonia basically gives the sustainability department the right to approve vendors for sourcing uh, materials for their clothing and, and outdoor products because they'll spend a little more money for something that's more ESG um, aligned than something that's not. Interesting. So, uh, Antonio, what have you been seeing in your region with regard to business sectors that have been resilient in the face of the of the pandemic or even business sectors that have done well because of the pandemic? What are you seeing? 
I can't say I've seen companies that have been uh, resilient or anti-fragile, as mm-hmm. uh, uh, Nassim Taleb uh, would say. Uh, so to say to thrive in a recession, uh, but uh, some of, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, some some companies are, are lucky. Uh, to be in in this kind of business to to have uh, more uh, demand uh, and some no uh, definitely there is a problem with the hospitality industry and uh, on the other side uh, the construction is going on uh, despite the pandemic mm-hmm. and uh, uh, pharmaceuticals are good uh, actually there there is no effect on on them for now yeah but in every uh, uh, shock or, or stress is different and uh, uh, impacts different uh, industries. So, so it's it's hard to say uh, which uh, industry or which company would be um, uh, anti-fragile uh, to, to every stress and every uh, recession. Now, I, I have a client who is in uh, homeware, so they do all types of um, bathroom fittings and uh, worktops and doors. And they had one of their best years in 2020. And he's he's actually one of the guys affected by the uh, the freight rates from China because most of the stuff, his stuff is made in China, Vietnam and Indonesia. So he's getting hit with the freight rates. But on the other side, he's doing really well um, because as you said, people are at home, they've nothing to do. They say, I'm tired looking at that door. I'm going to change it. Um, I think as well, another another group who are going to do, who are doing the best out of the pandemic and who will probably have uh, trauma when the pandemic ends are household pets. Um, I think pe- household pets think all their birthdays have come on the same day because people are at home, they're looking after them, they're walking them, they're buying them presents, they're buying them treats and so on. And when everybody goes back to work and back to school uh, in the future, the family pets are going to wonder, what, what happened? What did I do? So uh, that sector, I think, anything anything to do with pets, anything to do with home and garden, I think is is probably doing quite well. What do you think, Mark? Well, I, I mean, the home renovation business definitely, but it's also been, I mean, Zoom. We all know what Zoom is now, but Zoom was a really small company and not much, not much of a player, and not certainly not on Cisco or Microsoft's radar really uh, yeah. before the pandemic hit. I think what's really a lot more interesting is is the is the shift in how commerce is being done. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of stuff, obviously, in the ESG and, and uh, socially responsible investing. I mean, I've seen a number of new, um, basically, app-based banks that have started up where, you know, the mo- you, I mean, you get some interest on your money, but the money is basically, um, you know, you may, they give you measures on how much you've re- reduced greenhouse gases by what you're purchasing, or money mm-hmm. um, is being used to make loans for solar installations. So there's a lot more relationship between what your money does and actually doing something better in the world that's kind of values based. Mm. But to me, the you know the continuing disruptor in the vein of a Richard Branson is really Elon Musk, who basically said, "I like Bitcoin," and then a week later said, "Oh, by the way, you could buy one of our cars with Bitcoin." Well, think about all the entrepreneurs out there who were, I mean, I was I was in those communities heavily four years ago. And they were all like, how can I get Bitcoin? How can I get Bitcoin? And it was like, I don't know, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000. And it's like, why would you want to buy something that basically is computer code? You know, and last I looked, it's trading above $50,000. Well, that gets you a car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. And you have a place where you can go spend it to buy a car. You may yeah. not be able to buy a pizza or get groceries or, or buy, yeah. or buy home goods. So, you know, I think that there were some fundamental shifts in commerce that are going on. Uh, and there are sectors that are that are doing quite well. And I also think 
you know, when we get to herd immunity at a global level, I think that we're, that we're going to experience skyrocketing prices for, um, for air travel and, uh, and vacation experiences mm-hmm. because, because those industries have been so decimated by the pandemic that when they come back, they're not going to be able to turn on the spigot and have as many flights and, as, and, and be as well staffed on their properties um, as they were. I mean, you had major chains basically shutting down hotels in the middle of New York City during the pandemic. You know, you don't just, you know, turn on a 47-story, 500-room hotel like that overnight. You know, you've got to... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, definitely, it's definitely going to be a changed world. You know, the pity is that we could go on here shooting the breeze on these issues uh, for quite a while, but the clock is rapidly advancing, so we're probably going to have to pull the plug at this stage. So uh, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you guys uh, again today. So uh, many thanks for being here. Pleasure. And thanks also to our listeners. And remember that if you'd like to know more about how I can help you to formulate and implement international business strategies that deliver, check out my blog on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, which you can pick up on Amazon, Google Books or Apple Books. So thank you for listening and keep well until the next time.